number five in the Old Testament. Some of the men at the men's retreat found out that they did not know the first five books in order. And so that it was a discovery. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And after that comes Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We all understand that. We know how that works. Remember years ago, the Lord capturing my heart. I was a typical guy, no good, doing wrong things. Wasn't interested in the things of God. We went to church because that's what you did. You had to be in church. You know what would happen if you missed church. Really wasn't seeking the things of God. Is that the Ryans up there? Good. How are you all doing? Good to see you all, men. Stick with me this morning. I have my eyes on you. My eyes are on you. And just leading an average, normal life. And then everything changed. You wonder why I became like I am. It's God's fault. And the Holy Spirit captured my heart. He really turned me inside out. And for the first time in my life, I had a reason to live, Earl. I had something other than what I was doing that was going to give me an opportunity and a passion that would promote me in life. That would mean something. I was excited about the things of God. Didn't understand many of them, but there was an excitement. I knew that I had a lot to learn. And began to walk out the Christian life. I wanted to be great in the kingdom of God. I didn't want to be the average guy on the pew or the chair who went to church, who gave some money, sang a song, listened to a sermon, went home, lived the life, kind of looked at the Bible once in a while, said a prayer when things were not going well, when I needed something, go back to church. I didn't want to be the average guy. I wanted to be great in the kingdom of God. I wanted to achieve greatness. I wanted to excel. You know, and I'm hoping this morning that everyone who is saved, that that's your passion. You want to succeed. You want to excel in the kingdom of God for the glory of God. And if the Holy Spirit dwells in you, you have that passion. Because the Holy Spirit is the spirit of passion to succeed and glorify for God's name. Amen? But as I began to walk within, I think, the first few days, I discovered a horrible thing about myself. I wasn't able to overcome a wall that I ran into. A very tall wall I couldn't climb. A deep wall under which I could not dig. A long wall which I could not go around. There was a wall in front of me. I came face to face with this wall as I desired to live for the purposes of God. And as the circumstances of my life and the things that 
normally come into our lives, the normal things that come into our lives, began to encroach and bring pressure against me, against what God wanted to do in my life, I began to find that I was filled with that which I felt was a huge impediment to running the race effectively. I felt like someone had, I used to do track. There were a lot of things I could not do, but I could run away from problems fast, so they put me on the track field and I could run. You know, I used to run the 100-yard dash, the 220, the 440. We used to do those things. I'm not telling you how I came out, but at least I could run. You're looking at me and say, he ran at one time? Yeah, this is, what, this is what age does to you. This is what happens. And it was as if I was beginning to run, and I felt that there were weights on my leg, and I couldn't make the running as effective and as swift as I wanted to. And I found out something about myself that if you have been saved for any length of time, all of you have found out also. I was filled with an impediment. That which I felt worked against being successful, running the course the way God wanted me to for His glory. And that was weaknesses. How can I succeed with these weaknesses? How can a man who has a broken leg run? How can a man who is blind in one eye, let's say, do well in particular sports? How can a person who has hearing defects be able to accomplish? How can we be whom God wants us to be, whom we want to be, with all of this weakness about us? There was a problem. I ran up against it, and how did, I, how did I handle it? Well, I handled it in two different ways. And I believe that this is how we handle our weaknesses. And we're going to talk about some of the specifics in a moment of what weaknesses are. But I handle the weaknesses either by giving in to them or trying to get rid of them. It's typically the way I handle my weaknesses, either giving in to the weakness or trying to get rid of the weakness, doing whatever I could to get this out of me. This is the history of Israel, isn't it? Remember the history of Israel. God delivered them from Egypt and brought them into the wilderness. And God's purpose was to give them the law and constitute them as His great nation, His fighting army. And then within that very short period of time, it would have only taken a very short period of several weeks to cross the wilderness and come to Kadesh Barnea where they would get into the promised land, crossing the Jordan. That was God's purpose. And they started off with rah-rah. Remember chapter 15 of Exodus. Rah-rah, great is our God. We're free from the tyranny of slavery. And we're going to be a great nation. This should be our passion. And three days into the wilderness, just three days, Jamal, three days, brother, they ran into that which was a stone wall for them. And it was the weakness of their flesh. They didn't have any water. You can't do well without water. They needed water. And they wound up 
discovering something about themselves because of this weakness and something about God. And as a result of this weakness, they reacted to the weakness in sin rather than in faith. The weakness that was in them, they responded to it in sin rather than in faith. Now, you understood what I just said to you. I gave you two ways of dealing with our weaknesses, either in sin or in faith. Sin meaning giving in to the weakness or trying to get rid of it, or faith going to God and letting Him deal with the weakness according to His grace. And you remember they murmured and they complained. And what did Moses do? He went to the Lord and says, what should I do? These waters of Meribah are bitter. They can't even drink this water that the Lord has given to them to refresh them. And the Lord says, throw the tree into it. And if you read Galatians chapter 3, you will read that cursed is he who hangs on a tree. Jesus was hung on a tree for our sin. And God was telling them, the only way to deal with the weaknesses for my glory is to allow the Holy Spirit to apply the good and the power and the effectiveness of the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ against every weakness. And that's what they were learning in the wilderness. Let me talk a little bit about what weakness is. Weakness is defined by Thayer, who is a man who knows a lot more Greek than all of us put together. As far as the bodily weaknesses are concerned, lack of strength, infirmity, the body's native weaknesses and frailty, feebleness of health and sickness. Anybody in here have bodily weakness? Anybody at all? Man, my back is a problem. Without my glasses on, y'all are a blur. I have cavities. I don't hear as well. I can't run as fast. I get tired. All of us have weaknesses. But I think notwithstanding the bodily weaknesses, there are, is a group of weaknesses that is more subtly dangerous to us and that are the weaknesses of our soul. And he defines that this way. Lack of ability to understand, to do things great and glorious, to restrain corrupt desires, to bear trials and troubles. What are some of our weaknesses? A weakness is a disposition, a disposition toward something that we have naturally in us. You know, for instance, all of us have emotional weaknesses. Some of us get upset about things that others don't. How many of you husbands just don't get upset about the things that get your wife upset? And how many of you wives are curious why the husbands get so excited about somebody throwing a ball back and forth that you don't understand? We have different emotional structures and weaknesses. What about mental weaknesses? How many of you men know that most of the women are far more intelligent than we are? And how many of you women know that? Mental weaknesses, physical weaknesses, moral weaknesses. This is important, moral weaknesses. 
You know, we're inclined to live out of these weaknesses. We're inclined to, to be shy. My wife is naturally shy. If I told you I was naturally shy, you would laugh. You know I'm not naturally shy. But my wife is naturally shy. There are some people who are naturally more bold and dominant. There, there are some who are more sensitive, some who are less sensitive, some who are built more fearful than others, some are more brave. We just find this as our makeup, as our personality. This is how we are. This is who we are. Typically and obviously, men have different sets of weaknesses than women have. Some of us are more independent. Some of us don't need a phone call every day. How you doing? I miss your love and kisses. Some of us are more dependent. We need that. It's just the way we are. And so, you see, the problem isn't our weakness. But the problem arises as to how we respond to or deal with these weaknesses. Either, as I have already said, in sin or in faith. Every one of us makes decisions on a daily basis of how to deal with ourselves within the context of these bodies. And I want to make sure that we understand this point this morning. Weakness in and of itself. To be shy. To be sensitive. To be dominant. To be whatever. In and of itself is not sin. Our response. Our behavior as a result of. That which issues forth from our weaknesses may or may not be the problem. And so we begin to see that this issue of weaknesses is a breeding ground, a fertile ground for sin. So let's turn to Deuteronomy 8 and let's begin to see this. If we, when we were saved, are supposed to be strong in the Lord and for the purposes of God, how can we be strong when we carry about in our bodies so many weaknesses? How can we be strong when we carry about in our bodies all of these things which seemingly work against and retard our ability to run the race effectively for the glory of God? Because all of us know, those of us who have really desired to run the race with greatness, all of us know what is in the way. What is in the way are these weaknesses. And our general propensity is this. I need to get rid of this weakness. And if only God would get rid of this thing, then I could excel in this area. And then if he could get rid of this thing, then I could excel in this area. And we begin to go through all of these issues that if God can get rid of this and we spend our time trying to get God to get rid of it. How many of us have ever prayed, God, please get rid of a particular weakness in me? How many of us have ever prayed that? Get it out of me! Well, may I say this morning clearly to you, you're wasting your time. It's not biblical. Stop asking. Because that's not the purpose of God. And God is not going to answer that prayer the way you want Him to. So let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8 and see what we learn from these verses. First of all, 
verse 2. I'm reading from the New American Standard, lest yours be a little different. The word says this, And you shall remember all the way which the Lord your God. Where did the weaknesses come from? And how do we respond to them? The first thing we see is that we must respond and relate to our weaknesses and know one central thing. God is sovereign. God has made us the way we are. Now, let me ask you this. Where'd you get your big nose? Now, Tony, you're right to look at me right fast. One man yesterday said, my wife punched me and my hand went up. Where'd you get your big nose from? Where'd you get your hairline or lack of hairline from? Where did you get what you have in your body from? Well, everybody knows you got it from your mom and them. I mean, my grandkids are the best-looking kids in the world because, you see, they inherited my daughter's good looks and she inherited her mother's good looks. (laughs) They got a little looks from my son-in-law, but not a whole lot. Jonathan's up there saying, thank you, Lord. We get things from our parents. Where did our parents get them from? And all the way back to whom? To Adam. The first thing I believe we must know about our weaknesses is this. God has made us the way we are. What does Jeremiah 1, 5 say? The word of God comes to this young prophet and the Lord says, I'm going to use you as my spokesman to this nation. I made you the way you are. God made Jeremiah with certain dispositions and certain personality traits and with certain weaknesses in his flesh and within his emotions and within his moral fiber. God made him that way. Psalm 139, David says, I have been wonderfully made on the inner way, in, the, in the inner parts. God has made us this way. You see, the fall has twisted everything and caused everything to be corrupt. But the specifics of how I am made has been placed into me by God. If you are born as a shy person, the Holy Spirit has put shyness into you. If you were born as a person of greater dominance and greater forcefulness of personality, the Holy Spirit has put that into you. And then the experiences of our lives have fanned those, those weaknesses some kind of way. Whether fanned them up or down or any other thing. Whether you have been shy and you're going to make yourself be overcoming that by the strength of your own personality, or whether you have just crawled away into your corner and have shrunk away from life. So first of all, can we come to the understanding this morning that God has made us with weaknesses? Now, are we accusing God of being the author of sin? No. Because you see, the way we respond to our weaknesses is our responsibility. None of us are ever to respond to weaknesses sinfully. But just the fact of the matter is, what do we do mostly with our weaknesses? We either try to get rid of them or we give in to them. 
basically our response to weaknesses overall is sin. Now, we don't accuse God of sin. But God is in the midst of all this working a great work. He is leading us into a place where the wilderness activities, if you would, as Israel experienced for 40 years, begin to bring the reality of life and the pressures of life against our natural weaknesses in order to expose them so as they are exposed through our responses. Our weaknesses are exposed through our responses. God, hopefully, will be the one to whom we will turn for His help and His ministry to deal biblically, appropriately for His glory in the relation to those weaknesses. Rather than us bemoaning them and crying about them and lamenting over them and asking God, get this out of me. But going to God with a totally different frame of reference and understanding. You remember the Apostle Paul? Look, if anyone wanted to be great in the kingdom of God, what believer do you think was the greatest living example of the power of God on earth? Whom would you say it was? Who, who was it? I think it was Paul. Paul was in the third heaven. Paul had the revelation of the church. Paul is the one who established literally Christianity throughout the world. I mean, this man was the man. He was Moses of the New Testament. He is the great man, other than Christ himself, of the New Testament. If anyone wanted to be successful, and if anyone was successful, it was Paul. But Paul had to learn the same lesson. Had Paul not learned this lesson, you would not have heard the name of Paul. And so look at the benefit of learning the lesson of the wilderness. Turn to chapter, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Hold your hand in Deuteronomy 8. That's why God gave us two hands, you see. One for hold in Deuteronomy, and the other hand to turn to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And if you look in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, the apostle is telling you, hey, look, God has given me all kinds of revelation. And in order for me not to carry this in a presumptuous and prideful way, God placed in me weakness in the flesh. We don't know what it was. It doesn't matter what it was. And so there was given to me, what? A thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan. To what? Buffet me, lest I be puffed up. Paul is ready. He's been to the third heaven. I can't wait to get back there to preach, to show the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going back and I'm going to be absolutely the greatest man the world had ever did see in Christ. And I believe that is a good and honorable response to the glory of God and to the purpose of God. Paul was the engine of God ready to pull the train of the church. He gets back. He starts walking. Boom! Wait, 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 God, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait. There's something very wrong here. How can I run and be the man you want me to be? Because I got this thorn here. Whatever the weakness is, 
This morning as we talk about this, please allow the Holy Spirit to tell you of your personal major weakness and all the other weaknesses. Because I believe they're innumerable, at least in me. They're not even countable, at least not by me anyway. So Paul gets back trying to run the race. I'm getting there. But at this rate, I ain't never going to pull nothing. I can hardly pull my own weight. So what is Paul's response? Look, if you want to be somebody in Christ and you're finding out there is impediment, what do you want to do? You naturally do what? Want to get rid of the impediment. Does that make sense? If you can just take the 50-pound sack off my back, I can win this race. (laughs) So Paul does what we would do. Look at the verse. Three times I entreated the Lord. Do you see where I am in verse 8? To what? Get this out of me. Three times I entreated the Lord. Remove it. Remove it. Remove it. And I believe when Paul is praying about this, it's not like, Lord, would you remove this weakness? Please, God, would you please get this rid of me? In Jesus' name, amen. I believe This man, when he went into prayer about this particular issue, went in, closed himself off, and spent hours, maybe even days, weeping and wailing and crying out to God for the removal of this issue, whatever it was, three different times. What was God's answer? No. No. I mean, how can God expect us to run the race of glory in a glorious way? If we're encumbered with all of this mess, physically, morally, emotionally, intellectually, or whatever. Let's look at the answer. What does verse 9 say? The Lord's answer is what? My power is perfected in weakness. Do you see the verse I'm on? What is the answer? What is God telling him about the weakness? What? My power is what? Perfected, manifested, grown, developed, matured, built up. Where? What is the means? What is the soil for the glory or the power of the grace of God? It's in the midst of that which is weak to us. It's in the midst of that which, about which we cannot do anything naturally to overcome it. My power is manifested in this. Look at verse 3. Of Deuteronomy chapter 8. Let's go back to Deuteronomy 8. What was God doing in Deuteronomy? Well, what is God doing in my life? What is God doing in your life? And I want us to see this as a major issue with which, in, in relation to weaknesses. How do I know that an issue of weakness exists? 
sin is going to come up and reveal the presence of weakness. Sin will be the way I will find out whether I have weakness. If you don't know you're impatient, let everybody stop in front of you at the red light and not go when it's green. What are you going to find out? I'm what? Impatient. How are you knowing you have some weakness in you as to your trusting of God? The sin of impatience will begin to reveal something that allows that activity of sin to be manifested. How does a man know that he may have inbuilt in him a disposition toward looking at ladies the wrong way if he has never seen another lady? The first time a lady crosses his path and he sees her in a way that he should not, what does that reveal? That sin of lust reveals there is a weakness morally in this man. How does a lady know that she has a disposition toward wanting things that she shouldn't want and are not hers? When someone else comes up with a prettier dress than she had on, and all of a sudden there is that feeling, that sin of jealousy. Are you with me today on this? It's the weakness that is producing the opportunity and fertilizing the activity of sin. And so in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, this is what the Lord tells the people. He says, He humbled you and let you be hungry. He led you to the place of confronting the issue of your weakness. God is leading them to the place of confronting their issue. Knowing that when He leads them to the place of confronting the issue, He knows they're going to sin. God is not desirous of us sinning, but He knows that we are sinning. And the reason He leads us to that place is not to get us to sin, but in our sin to see the reason for the sin so that the reason for the sin may be dealt with. We don't want to be fruit inspectors. We want to be root diggers. We want to go to the root of the matter and not worry about the fruit of the sin. That needs to be repented of. But there is no repentance until the repentance gets down into the root and the thing is dug up and the weakness is taken care of biblically where it no longer functions the way it has in our lives. It functions now for the glory of God. Then in that kind of a context, those weeds will not grow the same way that they have before. And in some cases, they may never come back. Isn't that what we want, church? I want that more than anything so that my life may be a life worthy of the Lord. We're too worried about the little sin here and the little sin there. We need to be concerned about those, but deal with them biblically for the glory of God. And so trace out the vine of the poison ivory. Poison ivory is the way we say it in New Orleans. Everybody else says poison ivy. Trace out the vine of the poison ivy down to the ground and get your hoe and begin to dig around that and pull it out by the root and then get rid of it. Don't go in the backyard and clip the leaves of the poison ivy thinking you have done anything at all because it will continue to grow and to grow. And in fact, you will encourage the growth. 
If you don't deal with the root, you will actually encourage the growth and maturity and strength of sin. Glory, we're doing it wrong if we're not careful. And the more I try to resist and try to resist and try to do this, and in my own strength work against it, this thing is getting bigger. I found that out in my life. Sin got bigger in me as to its strength after I was saved. And the Lord had to literally turn me inside out to show me what was really happening. The Lord led you to humble you. And He led you to let you be what? In touch with your weakness. How many of you are glad about this, that Lord has le- is leading you to be in touch with your weaknesses? I mean, think about it. In order that you might understand that man doesn't live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds forth out of the mouth of God. Why is he in touch? Why is he leading us to be in touch with our weaknesses? Because God is drawing us to himself, the fountain of strength and the fountain of power. And the only one who can deal with the weaknesses in a way that sin no longer will be manifested in this ground of ours. He's drawing us. Join us. We sin. Our fault. We need to repent. But God is using it for a great purpose. He let them be hungry so that they may feed on Him. See, God was in the midst of their failure. Was He responsible for their failure? Did I say that? Come on, come on, come on. Answer me. You can call out. This is a Pentecostal church. You can make noise. I certainly make enough of it. I like a noisy group. Don't ever worry about making noise to me. I'll make more noise than all of you. Was God causing the failure? He was in the midst of the failure. How many of you have ever seen on television and would love to have been there when they stick the dynamite in the base of these big old buildings and they blow it up and the thing comes down? I would love to be there. How many of you really like to see that kind of thing? Isn't that great? You ever watch it on TV? <laughs> Took them two years to build this thing and 27 seconds to knock it down. I mean, like, all those plans and specifications and all that, going through City Hall, and what a boom, and it's over like that. We saw that in the church, huh, Jeff? I mean, this, this thing went boom, 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 and the thing was down. And we remember the building and the renovation and the second phase and all of that and all the, and, and Pete came into us and he redecorated the whole place, window treatments. I mean, the, the, the church looked so girly after Pete got a hold of it. I mean, we were a sweet-smelling church when Pete Shepherdstein got in there. I mean, we really appreciate this guy. I mean, no one has dressed us up like this. You see, you should never criticize a preacher when the preacher's coming after you. That is not, that is a lack of wisdom. Right, Earl? That's a lack of wisdom. You need to learn wisdom, brother, and I need to learn how to shut my mouth. (laughs) The building comes down. Why? Why? Michael, why? Are you awake up there? I know you are. Why? Why did they knock that building down, brother? I can't hear you. Yell out. New one. The Bible says, 2 Corinthians, what? 5.17, behold, we are what? New creation. All the old is away, and behold, everything is made new. I call that, God gave me this term, Phil, 
He gave it to me in the midst of dealing with the most vicious sin in my life. He gave me this. As I was experiencing failure after failure, I said, why? And God says it's controlled failure. Controlled failure. I'm sticking dynamite. I'm sticking dynamite into the issues of your ability to not sin. I'm sticking dynamite into your struggle to try to get rid of sin. I'm sticking dynamite into your giving in to sin. I'm sticking dynamite into anything and everything that has to do with that which is not of the power of my presence and grace. And I'm blowing this thing to hell. Thank you. Thank you. And that's what I want for my life. And by the grace of God, hopefully every man, woman, and child in this auditorium wants the same thing. I call it controlled failure. God called it controlled failure. I came out that evening in prayer realizing, wait a minute, I've been seeing this all wrong. Am I saying embrace sin? Absolutely not. It's like embracing the bottom of a birdcage. Deal with sin, but look at its author, your weaknesses, where it grows, and then deal with that issue in a way that that sin can be dealt with. You remember I asked you about what was God's response to the Apostle Paul when Paul says, get this out of me? Do you remember that? The Lord says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected. Listen to this verse now. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Some of you need to go home and write it big and stick it on your icebox door. My grace is sufficient in the midst of your weakness for you. For in the midst of your weakness is my power perfected and made manifest and is strong. Some of you need to remind yourself, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Learn the Bible verse. All three of them, 7, 8, and 9, are very instructive. Now look at verse 10. What was Paul's response? Well, you know, I would like to have had it done differently. It's not my way. I don't want this. Paul says, most gladly, therefore, will I what? Moan about and complain about and be upset about my weaknesses. No, the Apostle Paul, when he saw that weakness was literally the soil of God's grace being manifested and being working and overpowering him to the to the gospel for the gospel's sake, Paul said, I'm going for this. More gladly, therefore, will I do what? Rejoice over my weaknesses, because I have found this, that when I am weak, then I am I what? Strong in the Lord. You want to be strong in the Lord? Stop giving in to and stop trying to get rid of your weaknesses. Deal with the sin, but deal with them biblically. Deal with the sin, but deal with them in a way that produces the glory of God. How can we be empowered by God's grace? Do we want God's grace? That's the first question. What does 1 Peter 5.5 5 say? 
God resists the proud. Well, I'm not proud, brother. The proud man either tries to get rid of his weaknesses or he gives in to them or he lies about having them. That's the proud man. God resists you. You may be wondering today, why am I not experiencing the kind of success and overcoming victory and joy in the Spirit that I want to and that God wants me to and I need to? Because you're handling the issue wrongly. But God gives grace. Gives what? Gives what? Say it again. Grace to the humble. Those who are in touch with their weaknesses, want to know their weaknesses, and will go to God with these weaknesses, allowing God to deal with their weaknesses in His way for His glory. Don't you see? How can we do it biblically? First of all, where do we get these weaknesses from? How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, but I believe what I said a few moments ago actually surprised some of you. You had never thought that the weakness that I have, these areas, is from God. If not, where did they come from? Each one of my four grandchildren, we always will get the grandchildren in there. I've told Keith Collins this, and I'm going to tell him, continue to tell him, Sonny, we're going to talk about the grandkids. Each one of my little children up there, four of them right up there, is differently made with emotional, mental, moral differences. Where did they get them? God gave Emily the way she is for his purposes. And then Jonathan, Ellen, and then Anna. My daughter too, but my daughter is the mama now of the grandchildren. I want you to know I do have a daughter. Sometimes I'm accused of not even knowing about my daughter. It's just my grandchildren. They're from God. Is God the author of sin? Is that what I said this morning? But God is the author of our weaknesses. Because of the fall, because of the twisting and corruption of humanity through the fall, God is now going to use the issues of the fall for His glory. First thing, God made you the way you are. Can you be thankful for that? Can you be thankful? Number two, can you be thankful? How many of you know Marty Springer? Marty's about this tall, about this wide. Everybody know Marty Springer? He's a big fella in the church. And you see me. Thanks for not laughing too much. Now, which one of the two of us, if you were putting together a film, Samson? Really, seriously, which one of the two of us would you use as Samson? Peter Davidson or Marty Springer? Marty Springer. If you have any sense at all, you're not going to use me. Why? Because you see, you have a man who is reported to have done physically great things, and we all think within the fallenness and the pride of our humanity that that man did it because a guy has been on a bench 80 hours a day, pressing thousands of pounds, great 
bench press, great, you know, above uh, shoulder presses and all of that. And this guy brimming with muscles, so huge, this is why he can pick up those thousand pound doors and run through the city like this with a thousand pound door. Some of you are amazed that I can even run. But, you know, he's going like this through the city with a thousand pound door. Well, everybody knows that he can do it because look at the size of the guy. But you see me rip the door off the, 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 uh, the whatever it is and run through the city. You're going to say, wait a minute, that door is either styrofoam <laughs> or, or you're going to say it's a miracle. You're going to say God is in this. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Are you with me today? You're going to either say it's styrofoam, but you know it's not styrofoam because you hit your head against it the other day when you try to get in. They slammed it on your face. So you know it's a big steel thousand pound door. And you see this guy, Peter Davidson, 63 year old man who ain't that big anymore. Never was. And he rips this thing off the hinges and puts it above his head and goes dancing down the hill. Now, you first don't make fun of a man like that. <laughs> first, you don't make fun like that. Because if he can pick up a thousand pound door, what can he do to you? <laughs> first, you stay away from the man if you think there's something funny about him. Because of the way he goes down the hill. Where did he get the strength? What cause you see the movies have it wrong it's probably you know decent looking average guy what is it showing my power is perfected had samson gone up there in his own strength we would have said man that man was dumb 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 he should have known better than to try to carry the glory of God in his own strength. And it squeezed him and smashed him. And look how much shorter he is today because of it. He lost three feet of height. He's now a big two foot seven. Come on. Samson knew what David knew. First Samuel 17. You big mouth sucker of Goliath, I don't come against you in my own strength. I repudiated that. I did not put on the armament of Saul. I'm coming out here in the strength of the arm of the Lord. And because I am wearing his strength, having been dressed in his strength in my weaknesses, I am going to beat you They cut the head off the giant. Not because David was a great athlete. Because he came against him in the strength of God. God gave it to you. Thank God for it. And third, stop denying and trying to get rid of your weakness. I recommend two ways of handling or viewing weaknesses or dealing with weaknesses. Now, remember what we're talking about. We're talking about the distinction between weakness and sin. I'm not sure yesterday if I made this clear enough in this sermon, so I'm making it very clear, hopefully, to you today. Weakness of shyness. The weakness of moral difficulties. The weaknesses mentally, the weaknesses emotionally. Know what the weakness is. 
when I commit sin, I do two things. I do two things. I do two things. I ask God to give me the grace of repentance, 2 Timothy 2.25. Father, cause me to be able to repent. The Bible says, if God will grant repentance. And the second thing I do is this, which is equal to it. Father, show me the weakness so I might deal with it biblically. Because if the root came, the sin came up once, if I don't get the weakness overcome, what's going to happen, Daniel? It's going to come up what? Twice and three times. And I'm going to spend my days picking out weeds out of the garden, and I ain't got the time to be picking the weeds out of the garden. I have other things to do. Two things. Reject your weakness as to its sin opportunities. Reject it as to sin opportunities, but embrace it as to its grace opportunities. That's where I was failing, Tony. I was failing to see that God made me this way, and He made me this way in order to reveal to me my need, so my need would drive me to His supply. And I stopped asking God, get rid of this weakness in me. And I started to ask God, overcome it with your grace and deal with it. And literally in me began to be a change of attitude toward weaknesses. That which I greatly feared and ran either after or away from and toiled in its slavery for so many years, I began to see as wonderful stepping stones into the further glory of God. As weaknesses were revealed in me, and as I surrendered them to the glory of God and embraced them for His glory, but rejecting them as to sin, so that the power of God could be greatly, or more at least, greatly manifested in me. I can tell you today, and hopefully you'll be okay with my saying this, I can tell you today faithfully that I no longer walk in habits of sin. God has dealt with that. doesn't mean weeds don't come up in the garden. Weeds are going to come up in everybody's garden. You've got to be a weed picker, and when you do, you find out what the root of that thing is. But the only way God's going to deal with and overcome the issues in your life that have been so dominating and controlling you all of these years is for Him to get you into contact with the issue, the weakness, the root of the thing, and then stop denying it, stop running away from it, stop giving in to it, stop getting rid of it, but go to God and embrace it as to the opportunity, the very means, the very soil of His glory. There was a gardener, a gardener. And he's going to plant the most beautiful garden you ever did see. And so he goes to the lady's house. And her garden is like yesterday. We went out there and some of these yards were terrible. They're terrible. They haven't been dealt with since Katrina. They're terrible. 
And so the gardener goes out there and the lady says, yes, I'll hire you. I've heard great things of you. I know you can do a wonderful job. I've seen some of the effect of your work in other areas. And so here is my garden filled with all kinds of trash, but I so want my house to look beautiful. How many of you want your lives to look beautiful as a garden for God? Oh, glory, that's what we want. That's what we want. God saved us not to be a weed patch, but a glorious garden. And so you ask the gardener, won't you come on in? And so he does. And a couple of days later, you pass the house to see how he's doing. And he has the entire front yard dug up 30 feet down. <laughs> now, why did you laugh? Now, you laugh. Why? Why did you laugh? Come on, tell me. You know why you laugh. Why? Because that guy doesn't know anything about what? Gardening. He's a Tony... Maserat who only knows how to dig it up and haul it away. He's a heavy equipment operator, right, Tom? I love it when people sit on the front row. That's why normally y'all are sitting further back there. But I can come up here and get you. I can cross this white line and make noise, but I can come get you. And I'm not afraid to do that. I was a teacher. I just can't climb the stairs as fast as I used to. Look, and your, your front yard is a 30-foot hole. I'm how many of you ladies and you men who won't pass the most manly man test, <laughs> how many of us know there's something wrong with the gardener, really? How many of us would question his whatever? What's wrong with it? The very means of growing the flowers and the bushes and the geraniums and the giraffes and all of the other flowers, the very means is the mud. What did you do with the mud? Well, you wanted a pretty garden, so I'm going to first get rid of all this mud around here, and this nasty stuff, and then we're going to plant some nice-looking stuff, and you're going to have a lovely garden. I think you better go to another house. You see, because the mud is the very means. You see, the lady rejected the mud as to its muddiness, but she embraced the mud as to the means of growing the flowers. Is that right or wrong? Reject your weaknesses as to muddiness and embrace your weaknesses as to the glory of God's presence. Paul says, oh, I am going to now start boasting of my weaknesses. Oh, oh. Because more I do and the more you tell me what's wrong with me and my weaknesses, the more God's garden can grow. So bring it on. Some of us are so afraid to be shown what's wrong with us. I have really changed in this. Keith and I came back in 97 from that first Sovereign Grace Conference in November, and I told him, young man, there ain't no way I am not doing this. You're not going to get me to confess anything, to open up to anything, to admit to any weaknesses. You are not going to do it. I told him face to face, you will not do it. Don't ever tell the Holy Spirit what you're not going to do. <laughs> you know what an oyster knife is? Come on, shrimp heads. Oh, oyster, excuse me. You put the oysters in the zinc and you, and you open it up with that little flat thing and the resistance of the oyster begins to not be able to overcome the opening and finally it opens. That's what God did with me. <clears throat> but he used the issue of sin and failure 
to get into the inside where my weaknesses were to show me what was really wrong. And when I began to realize and experience that when my oyster was open in these areas, uh, the pearl of God's grace could be manifested. It then became so joyful to say, please tell me of my weaknesses so that I may have many pearls of God's grace. And so the farmer takes the seeds of the plants and he carefully and logistically plants them in deep the mud. And he waters them and he tends them. And they begin to come forth. The mud is not being done away with. It's being overcome. My grace is sufficient. God's grace planted in my mud. As I embrace my mud as the means of God. Thank Him, Father. Thank You for making me shy. For I am now accepting that as the mud into which You will plant the grace of Your Word and the ability of your word and your grace and your presence and power to do a work through this shyness, through this dominating personality, through this weakness of moral weakness, whatever it is, to bring forth an issue of your grace that would not ever have been seen as clearly in me, if at all, except it is manifested in this area of mud. Oh, thank God. Pete can tell you. I want to be shown my weaknesses. You can tell them that. You know that. Why? Because I love to be beaten? No. It's always a twinge to the flesh, but you know what? The twinge gives way to joy when the jewel is seen as God opens the oyster. result of the planting is this. The lady looks out one day on the front porch and sees all the flowers blooming. Oh, so beautiful. So beautiful. But the gardener says, well, why don't we go up to the third floor of your house and look at it? And so they go up to the third floor of a house. You know, why look at the third floor? I can see on the front porch, right? So they go up to the third floor, and the lady looks down on her garden, and she sees the face of her son in the garden. Oh, what a work. What a gardener. Is this what God wants for us this morning? Is this what God wants from you? Then let's seek after being having our weaknesses revealed to us, rejecting as to their, its muddiness, but accepting as to the means of growing the grace of God. Cooperate with God. Cooperate with God in this. When you're faced with an issue of sin, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, remember this verse, Romans 8.1. There is therefore when... When? Right now. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No guilt. We don't embrace sin. We deal with it. 
but let's deal with it in a way where the flowers can be planted and grown rather than dealing with it in a way that will manifest and encourage the mud. Deal with the sin and then joyfully, joyfully know what Deuteronomy 8.5 says. Look at Deuteronomy 8.5. Joyfully know this. Thus you are to know in your heart that the Lord your God was disciplining you, just as a man disciplines his son, whom the Lord loveth, Hebrews 12.5 says. Whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And the result of that discipline in verse 11 of Hebrews 12 is this. It will bring forth the peaceable fruit of righteousness. We want to be the righteousness of God. The trees of God's planting for His glory. Not a bunch of mud puddles when it rains. Reject the mud as to its muddiness. But work with God and cooperate with God in the midst of the work. Let Him work in you and with you. Embracing the mud as the joyful anticipation and activity of experiencing and showing forth the greatness of this great gardener who is tending us as His great garden. Now in closing, let me share with you a warning. Warning is found in Deuteronomy 8, 11 through 18. I will not read those verses, but you read them. Here's a warning. And I had to learn this. You know, you just have to learn a lot. When you're a man like I am, there's a whole lot of learning needed and going on. I remember particular issues God began to overcome literally overcome by His grace because He showed me what to do with this and how to handle it and how to respond to it and relate to this stuff. The most freeing thing I ever had in my whole life. How to walk in freedom. And so I began to realize, I mean, think that as an issue of weakness was dealt with, dealt with by God's grace. Don't you see? began to cover it over with his flowers, I began to assume, hey, got it made. I'm doing all right in this area. And have you been there, done that? I'm okay. I got it made. I'm li- I don't say it, but there's just a, a thought, a feeling, you see, when the issue has not popped up for a while. There's a thought in you. There's a feeling in you. It's okay. I'm, I'm, I got it now. So what did the Lord have to do? Pull back some flowers and say, look, it's still what? There. He had to bring forth an issue of sin in me to show this is what you need to be warned about. Weaknesses always remain until we're dead. Oh, man. Glory to God because that means the grace of God is ever being manifested in me. And I thank God for the remaining weaknesses in me so that the power of God's grace may be continually displayed in my life. Glory, I don't want you to think. Peter Davison is somebody. This is a lie. This man is weak and terrible and nasty in sin in the natural man. And if God has done anything at all, it's been the work of God as I have picked up by the grace of God infused with the strength of the Holy Spirit to pick up the weight of God's grace and hopefully continuing in the race. Don't look at any of us as anybody. 
Look at us as vessels of weakness in whom God is manifesting, hopefully, more greatly and powerfully and effectively every day His grace. But where? In the midst of all of our failure. I wouldn't give you ten cents for myself. But for God, we give everything. Weaknesses will remain. God's going to have to humble you from time to time to show you. Remember that weakness? <clears throat> and you know what I say? When that happened to me the first time, I said, I, oh, God, what's happened? I thought, oh, no, no. You needed an update because you began to get a little too what? Proud. And now I say with kind of like, you ever say something to God like, would you do this? It's like, would you, would you give me the shot? Anybody ever been there? Go get a shot. Okay, I'm ready for it. <clears throat> You know, I'm ready to get blood. They put that long thing in your arm. Yeah, I'm ready. Mm, like that. I, I now ask God, would you show me my weakness, mm, knowing that it's going to be a stick in the verse, but after it gets in, then I'm going to enjoy the result. I mean, getting stuck by God ain't fun. It's the flesh. But the result is wonderful. So I'm willing to get the shot if it's going to keep me from the disease, aren't you? I don't want, oh, give me the shot. No, no, mm, the flesh kind of... Con- but I want it. I need it. I have to have it. I continually need that. The warning. There will all, three truths. All the victory in our, over the weaknesses in our lives. Every bit of the victory is the work of God in me and with me. Every bit of the victory over weaknesses in your life is the work of God in you and with you. Secondly, and I think I have this at the end. By the way, thanks to Eric Schmoltz who laid out this outline in a better way than I could ever do it. You see, I don't have, I have a weakness in this area. I don't do well with window treatments. So I let Eric do the window treatments now, and I asked him to do it. So he and Evan May, I think, got together. Thank you, brother. This is a result of your work, and I do appreciate it because I sent him these notes midday Friday, and he had to scurry around to do this with everything else. So really, thank you a lot. You're a blessing. You really are. Evan, too, but I don't know if Evan's there. He is. Yeah, there he is. Good to see you. Secondly, grace must be maintained by vigilance. Don't drop the guard. Vigilance in remembering, pursuing, and in obeying God's word of grace. Vigilance, vigilance, vigilance. People say, why are we like the way we are? Because we know that there is an enemy out there. 1 Peter 5, 8. Roaring like a lion, seeking whom he may devour. And we are not, by the grace of God, going to let us, him devour us, and he is not going to devour you. We are determined in the grace of God. We are not going to let Satan do this, no matter what we have to pay. And we've learned that if our hurt is your help, then we want to be hurt for your help. And third, embrace God's means of blessing, the wilderness of trials and testings. Why? So that your weaknesses may be manifested and revealed. So when they're manifested and revealed, then go to God and ask Him to pour into these weaknesses your grace, Father. I receive it and I accept it and embrace this as a very means of your grace. I no longer resist it. I don't bemoan it. I don't cry about it. I thank you that you are sovereign. You put this in me. Now, Father, this is the means of more flowers. 
Thank you for that. Grow more flowers. I submit to you and I cooperate with you in this. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Do a great work in us. Bring a greater work of freedom. Manifest yourself. And every time we do say that, we now know it's going to mean more revelation of weakness. Bring it on, God. Bring it on, Father. Bring it on so that your name may be glorified in us greatly. In Jesus' name, and the whole church said, Amen. 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 <clears throat>